0: Welcome back to the Nerds RPG variety cast. I'm your host, Jason. On this System Sunday, we're gonna talk about Dead of Night. This is Steam Power Publishings game to do with the horror genre. And it's supposed to be able to emulate pretty much any horror movie. I'm gonna be talking about the second edition from 2010. The writing is by Andrew Kenrick, with additional writing, primarily in like the toolbox jam section. There are also some modules by Scott Dorwood, Mark Latham, James Mullen, and Joe Murphy illustrations are by Paul Bourne, who also does design and layout. I, I think the layout's fine. It's it's very easy to read. They they just do one column, one big column across the page. It's not multiple columns, so it's easy to read. The art is evocative of the genre. They've got a lot of fake movie posters in here for all the different kinds of genres and movies. Um, I'm not in love with the art in this, but I think the art works really well for this game. So And, and I'm not somebody who's art makes or breaks the game, so it's not a big deal to me. But but I think the art's pretty good, and some of it's really good. Some of it's really evocative. Like, there's, like, a family family portrait there, like, with an extended family portrait, but they've all got skulls instead of faces, you know, things like that, which is kind of cool. So there are some really neat things in here, and some of the fake movie posters are really clever. This game is, at its core, a very simple game. The, there's, like, 20 pages of rules when you boil it down, at, and that's including player tools, GM tools, all that. But the book is 186 pages because the rest of the book is giving you GM advice how to tailor this very simple rule set how to turn the dials to emulate different genres of horror because horror is one of those you know, storytelling whether it's books or movies or whatever, it there's so many different subgenres of horror. That one rule set's not going to meet all those. You know, Slasher Flick has very different rules. You know, Friday 13th has very different rules from Poltergeist. And we need to be able to emulate both those, right? Or this rules tr- this rule set's trying to emulate both. And, and I think, actually, it does it looks like it'll do a pretty good job. I have not played this game. I've only read this, so these are just my impressions. I do hope to get this to the table. I still think Slasher Flick might be a little better for a straight Slasher movie you know, Friday 13th, Halloween. But there the way they do slasher movies in here, and I'm going to talk about it, I think could work as well. So I I, I think this is a really smart rule set. There's some really great advice in the the toolbox of terror, the jam advice. Um and even if you're not into horror movies, I think this rule set's worth picking up to see how they take simple rules and then use dials to use those simple concepts to emulate different genres. And I think it's a really, really interesting way they do it. And it's a really simple way they do it. So you could easily throw a game together on the fly. This is a game you could easily, once the GM is familiar enough with the rules, it's very easy to teach a player so somebody doesn't have to read the rules before they play They could pick it up. You could teach while you play. And you could easily do this as a pickup game. If the GM, you know, is familiar with horror, they... It it would be very easy to use this to do pickup games, or it's primarily designed for one shots. There there are some nods to ongoing games, where you know kind of like sequels of movies, but for the most part, it's designed for one shots, which makes sense when we think about the hard genre. <laughs> Chapter one is creating our victim. And, of course, this is creating player characters. The first thing we have to do is pick a genre. The GM players are going to agree what genre they're going to play because the characters they create for the zombie apocalypse may be different than they do for a haunted house movie. Once you have the genre agreed on, the the players will come up with a basic concept, you know, like a one line or two line concept of the character. And then we'll move on to attributes. There's a point by system, not point by, it's a point allocation system. You have four pairs of attributes, and you get 10 points for each pair. So you have identify obscure, persuade dissuade, pursue escape, and assault protect. And you can put as many as nine points in one, or as little as one point in one, but you know, the default would have five in each, right? So you'd have like five in identify, five in obscure, but you could have, say, eight and persuade and two and dissuade, yeah, that kind of thing. And there are also ways to specialize the attributes. So identify is what you're going to use for your investigations, looking for clues, looking for monster vulnerabilities, things like that. Um, obscure is when you're trying to cover your tracks, hide information, not be seen, those kind of things persuade is when you're trying to convince people to help you sweet talking guards um, or even picking a lock to get inside a research facility that per you you would use it for that kind of thing right so these aren't really th- these are kind of broad how you how you look at them just like persuade might be used to pick a lock dissuade in addition to be maybe intimidating somebody or Or convincing somebody, you know, these are not the droids you're looking for. Dissuade could also be used to things like sabotage a car, right? Or, you you know, leave a trap. Or not trap, but leave something, a pitfall. So, well, that's a trap. To keep somebody from following you. Um, Pursue is pretty much you're chasing somebody down. You know, prevent a foe from escaping you. Things like that. Or even, you could even... Use it to track a wounded monster back to a slayer, depending. Like I say, these are kind of fluid, how you interpret them. Escape is trying to escape, (laughs) right? You're trying to outrun something, um, you know, flee from hordes of monsters, zombies, whatever, right? Avoid capture. Assault is pretty much when you're attacking something, whether physically or with a spell or throwing holy water on it or whatever, you know. And then defend is, or protect, I'm sorry, protect is when you're trying to protect somebody, whether you're jumping on a grenade, you're stepping in front of something, you're trying to block a blow, whatever. So, you know. Now, there are specializations you can do for each. So, like I say, you put, you have 10 points to, to put between each pair. And then a specialization means you are better at a very specialized version of one of those attributes. So the specialization raises your specialization by two, but it lowers the pair by two. And you get to either take two off one of the pair, or you can take one off each pair. So say you have five and five in Assault and Protect, but you want Vampire Hunter as a specialization. You're going to put it in Assault. Then Vampire Hunter will be seven, but you have to lower either Assault from five to three, Protect from five to three, or Assault and Protect down to four each. But Vampire Hunter would, you know, stay seven. Now, once you have a specialization, if it would work with a different attribute, you could use it that way. So say you have Vampire Hunter, you paid for it with your Soul Protect, but if, you know, it's more useful in an investigation kind of thing, you know, part of the scenario, then you could use it that way. So you could use it in Identify. You could use that specialization. So like I say, it's pretty fluid how you use these things. You can also gain specializations during play. You can have multiple specializations. They go into that. But the the rule for specializations, for the most part, is if it's going to be useful more than half the time, then it shouldn't be a specialization. The The idea of a specialization is it's just that. It's supposed to be, you know, something that's not always useful because otherwise, you, you know, it, it would just be the general attribute. Your characters may also have bad habits, Bad habits are things like you, you smoke, so you're always going outside to smoke, or you know you whatever you you can come up and think about the the genre you're playing in and the bad habits and the cliches, the tropes and those genres, right? You're you're always you, you know sneaking off to make out in the woods, or you're you you you, you get. You forget about your friends because you get always get lost in research, so you can't keep track of time. So your bad habit is you're, you have a bad sense of time, something like that. There's There's all kinds of bad habits you could have. And then you call on them during the game to meet the tropes of that genre. And what that does is award you survival points. Everybody has survival points. Survival points are a genius thing in this game. They are a combination of hit points, sanity points, damage points, all these things rolled into one. And your survival points are going to go up and down during the game. When you have zero survival points, the next time you lose a survival point, you're going to die. Or that character's going to die. So you, you want to be careful because the lower your survival points get, the more the tension ramps up, right? Well, I shouldn't use that word because tension is something else in this game. But the, the more dangerous it is for your character. But survival points are a catch-all mechanic so we're not tracking separate hit points and luck points and all this we just have survival points period and and that works pretty well so that's how you make characters i mean really that's all there is to characters it's really simple we're not worried about lists of equipment or any of that kind of thing i mean you can you might have a list of equipment but you know that's not really part of character creation we're not worried about it because it's not that big of a deal in a horror movie and you could have the specializations be equipment even right Again, these are one shot, so it's not a big deal to spend points on equipment for for a one-shot game. So, Okay, so survival points. Well, let, I, I kind of hit survival points. Let's talk about the game mechanics really quick as far as how you do checks. So the way you do checks in this game is you, you roll 2d10, add the appropriate attribute, and compare it to a target number. The standard target number is 15. So you roll 2d10... The average would be, what, 5.5. If you just balance out all your attributes, you'd have five points in each. So you should have a good chance, you know, a decent chance of passing a standard check. Now, checks could, for a regular check, normally it's 15. A check could either be a single action or an extended action. They make a big point in here not to have you roll more than you need to and not to have the character roll for the same thing, multiple times unless something really changes which i like now we have conflict checks if you're in conflict with a monster say or another character then the target for that conflict check is equal to 10 plus the opponent's attribute. This is mostly a player-facing game where it's all player-facing roles, not totally, and I'll get to that in a minute, but it's mostly player-facing roles. So if you're competing with a monster, you'll be 10 plus the monster's attribute. And the monsters are built with the same four attribute pairs that the characters are. We have indirect opposition, meaning you're trying to track something that's not physically in the scene. So you're trying to track where a monster went six hours ago. It still works the same way as the other one, where you use the monster's you know attribute in there or the enemy's attribute in there um you could have pvp in this game very much uh, a lot of these scenarios can lead to pvp not all of them but you know that's part of the horror genre so that opponent's attribute might be another character's tribute we ha- then we have risk checks risk checks are where you might take damage as a result of the check and these are where you'll lose a survival point if you fail the check Generally, whenever you use a soul to protect, it's a risk check where you'd lose survival point. But there might be other times if you're using identify and you're you're to look for information on a foe's weakness, and you're reading some kind of hidden, forbidden grimoire, then you might lose sanity and survival points. Check that, so that might be a risk check. Describing the outcome, you know, maybe they this is written two ten, so this predates our premature imagination. But, you know, it says in here to, it's up to the GM players to decide who gets to describe what happens and, you know, whatever works. But lavish narration should be saved until after the dice have been rolled. This saves both players and GM the trouble of expending all their creative energy before the outcome of the conflict has been decided. That sums up the premature imagination thing, right? So, if you're not sure what I'm talking about there, back a couple months ago we talked about that quite a bit on this show claiming initiative. I This is one of the things I don't like in this game. So if there's a monster in the scene, the monster gets initiative. I, I'm okay with that. But aside from that, the player who states an action, his character intends to take, claims initiative, and gets to act. So effectively, initiative acts in whatever order people speak up is the order you act in, period. And and I don't particularly like that because your quieter players are going to get pushed to the, to the rear. So that's not great. I mean, maybe it fits the genre, but I'm not sold on the initiative thing, but I don't know. So the next thing here talks about who rolls the dice and talks about it's mainly player phasing. Normally the players roll the dice, but this game has the rule that no player can roll the dice twice in a row. So if you have two players in the GM and one player, and they're all together in the scene and one player goes, and then that player says, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this. The other doesn't get a word in edgewise. Well, the player can only roll the dice one time, and then they can't roll it again until somebody else rolls. So that does open it up for everybody to act. So that's kind of nice. But if you have like three or four players, then somebody could still get left out. What's interesting is if only one player character is in the scene with a monster, what they what they tell you to do is, because the player can't roll the dice twice in a row, at that point the GM would roll instead, um, just using... So, if a vampire is attacking, say, player character, when the player rolls, they use protect against the... And so, it's 10 plus the vampire's assault value, and they're rolling their protect. To, but if if the GM rolls, then, of course, they use the vampire's assault against the character's protect, right? So, it's kind of interesting there. Um, so, they, the only time the GM would roll when you have the one player in the scene, and they've already rolled, then they have the GM rolling. Yeah. Okay, the, the initial I'm not totally sold on, but I can see it. Survival points, like I say, you can normally you start with five survival points each. Um, you may start with more or less depending on the genre. Once you hit zero survival points, if you're required to lose another one, you're written out of the story. Now, the players, like I say, can use survival points as metacurrency as well. And there are a ton of different ways they can do this. They can use it to flip their attribute pairs, right? They can use it to, to re-roll a check. Now, you have to wonder, well, if it's a risk check and they lose a point, they're going to lose a point, they can spend a point to re-roll. Is that worth it because you're losing a point anyway? Yes, because potentially the monster could lose a point. Like I say, the monsters are built just like the players. So they have attribute pairs, they have survival points, all that. And when a monster zero survival points, depending on the rules of the genre, it might be dead. You know, in the case of a zombie, it might, you know, that that disables the monster, takes it off the table. Or maybe if you're playing something that can't be killed, it just disappears from the scene to reappear later. So monsters work just like players. So you may want to re-roll so the monster loses a point as well. Uh, You can use a survival point to interrupt initiative and go yourself. You can use it to negate another character's survival point expenditure. Like I say, there can be PvP in this. You can use it to add something in the story... That makes sense in the genre. You're not going to find a rocket launcher in your trunk. But you may pick up a discarded knife in the bar, right? And you can use it to add new specializations during the game. So maybe you've had a scene where you're fighting zombies. And now you want to add zombie killer to your this is specialization. You could spend two survive points to do that. You regain survive points by rolling doubles. By running with cliches, if you have bad habits or, or you, you dive into these, really lean into the horror movie cliches, then you'll get survival points for that. Um, they, they have the, in here the standard thing. If they say something cool or evocative, the GM can decide to give it to them. If a character sits a scene out, they spend a whole scene resting and relaxing, they can gain a survival point. So, um, And then if you survive a game, if you survive a whole scenario, an adventure, then you regain two survival points. Now, if you were down only to like one survival point and you survive, now you're only going to start the next game with three survival points instead of five, which kind of makes sense because reoccurring characters a lot of times don't survive the sequel, right? And then anytime the die roll comes up as 13, then the creature, the GM's choice, gets a survival point and tension goes up by one. I'm going to talk about tension here in a minute. So survival points are are really interesting because it's this catch-all Thing it's like the games where your where your hand of card like card games where your hand of cards is both your health and your actions. That's kind of what survival points are here. The next thing we're gonna talk about is tension. Intention is another dial. Tension isn't something the players interact with. Tension is a tool of the GM. Like say the monsters are built just like player characters, survival points and all. But tension is only for the GM. Intention is how it's a rough guide of the atmosphere and tension in the game at the moment it tells you how horrific things are how unreal or surreal things are so one is relatively innocuous and 15 is positively lovecraftian 10 would be disturbingly macabre right and so what they recommend you do here which is really interesting instead of figuring out plot points plotting out your adventure you decide at what tension level do, do things turn which is a really interesting way. So you use the tension as a guide for the story when you're going to hit your climax, not when they hit certain plot points. So your tension is what you use for the pacing, which is really interesting. So And they give advice here how to plot a story out using tension, like how tense it is, compared to plotting it out with story beats. So that's kind of cool. You can The GM can use tension to modify checks. They can either... They can they can take a point of tension and add it to a check, or multiple points tension add it to checks, both for monsters and characters, or subtract it. So if a player passes a check, a GM can spend a couple points tension to make that pass a fail, or they can if the player fails, they can use a couple points tension to make them pass. And we'll come back to that. So it's interesting. I know that's a little contentious, but it's a, it's a way to help again with the pacing and and to keep the the story feeling right. Um, when whenever a monster's in a tension, its survival points add to the tension, not to the overall tension, but just for that particular scene. So that scene with the monster is really tense, but when the monster's gone, we're back to where the tension was before. Which like I say, it's a really interesting mechanic the way they, they have this built. it's really interesting. So tension, you determine the tension and, and some of the dials of the tension, there, there are four things they talk about. mood, uh, circumstances, intensity, and genre. So for mood, you, you know, they they talk about how to use tension and survival points in here to adjust with the mood. Things like limiting when you give survival points. So in a deadly serious game, survival points shouldn't be given out for anything humorous or, you, you know, doing cl- humorous cliche kind of things, right? For circumstance, you, you're going to use the Tension points to adjust, depending on the their circumstances, so they limit to when you can use them. So for a zombie movie, maybe you're going to use tension points to help characters in escape checks, but you'll use tension points to decrease characters' assault checks, because in zombie movies, the, the idea is you run from the hordes, not fight them. So that, that's, and obviously you could do this. You know, a variety of different ways for a variety of different movies. Intensity, how intense you want things to be. Th- this is how many survival points you spend on each check. So the more points you can spend on a check is the more you can swing the results to to meet what you're trying to do. And then genre of, you know, is just going to depend. And, and what's interesting here with genre is genre is going to affect how both the tension and the survival points are used in there. So in a slasher, survival points obviously are injury and where psychological survival points might be insanity, right? And and they like I say, there's a bunch of advice how to do this for the different genres. So it's, those are your basic tools. You, your basic character with the four tribute pairs, survival points, which are catch-all, hit points, luck mechanic, you know, meta, game, meta points. And then we have tension, which is how the GM figures out the pacing. And then by adjusting those and playing with those, you can emulate just about any genre. If you're doing aliens, action horror, then maybe survival points and tension are going to, like, you're going to lose ammunition. So you're out of ammunition. Where in a, you know, slasher, it's, you, you know, that's a character's dead or you know, something psychological, you, you're, you're going to insane. You can adjust these and do different things. Now they talk about a bunch of different, they have a whole section here on building the monsters and they talk about all the different kinds of monsters. So they have different advice and, and different like special abilities for the monsters and things for, they talk about the unstoppable killer, the vengeful dead, the hunter, the beast within the corruptor, the imposter, the puppet master, the horde, the formless horror, the thing from beyond by the numbers um, oh, well, by numbers, talk about, you know, how to make them, but they have like 30 pages in here on ha- different kinds of monsters and re- and t- tweaking the game to fit different monsters. For the genre section, there's another 30 pages where they talk about slasher movies, monster movies, splatter movies, vampire, werewolf, ghost stories, Asian horror, zombie apocalypse, psychological horror, Lovecraftian horror, black comedy, body horror. So you know they, they And they really dive in how to use tension and, and survival points differently in each of these to try to get the feel of that genre. Then we have the Toolbox of Terror, which is a lot of GM advice. We have 40 pages of scenarios. There's four different scenarios in here, about 10 pages each. And and then there's a mediography where they talk about films and books and things to check out. And then there's an index. So this has both table context and an index, and it gives you character sheet at the end. So I know I've talked a long time about this game. Sorry about that. But it's actually a really neat game, and I am really looking forward to trying to get it on the table. So, sorry for the diarrhea of the mouth here, but I hope you enjoyed the review of Dead of Night. Hey folks, like I say, I'm sorry this went so long. I will try to keep these a little short in the future. Let me know what you're looking for in these system Sundays. Do you want a five minute soundbite? Do you want 20 minutes where I go more in depth in the systems? How long do you want these to be? I'm trying to do them about how long they need to be, uh, but this one I, I think I w- was a little indulgent. But I really like the system, I think it's really interesting the way it tries to be one system for all things. And I think it very well could work. Like I say, I'll get it to the table and let you know. Uh, I know today is a busy day because it's also the Day of Might where we celebrate all things sword and sorcery. And I released an episode earlier where I do a reading from a short story, a sword and sorcery story that's not available in ebook. But, yeah, let me know how long you want these to be. And I hope you have some value out of this. You can reach me. All the ways to reach me are in the show notes, so reach out to me, let me know. Thank you for taking time out to listen. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen to the show, and I hope you enjoyed it. And be excellent to each other.